Anybody need a lesson six for today? We've been looking at this lesson the last week and week before that. How about you, one, Roger? Okay. Anybody else down here? Lesson six. Yeah, I've got six and seven. I got those from you. You do? I thought I got you a seven. No, I was up on L because I drove on the hills when you drove them off. I thought off the track. Yeah. Anybody else lesson six? glad you're here. If you weren't here, nobody would be here. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I was talking to Austin a while ago, July and August, and it may even be worse than this, as all the people that's going to be gone. Uh, it's the summertime, people traveling, I guess, part of it. Young people are having a camp over on the other side of the mountains. Maybe us downstairs teaching. I think got one one pupil down there. Well, I hate to uh, finish lesson six uh, with so many gone, but we're going to try to do that. Accepting adversity and tragedy. Um, lesson six, it says there's large-scale tragedies. And that first paragraph under the introduction uh, says, uh, in this lesson we'll examine this paradoxical benefit at length and conclude with some final thoughts on large-scale tragedies. What's the paradoxical benefit? Well, uh, Large-scale tragedies highlight the fact that something's wrong with the world, not only that the world is flawed, but that it's outside the power of man to fix whatever is wrong. And uh, so the first part of this lesson that we looked at already is in Ecclesiastes is some, uh, uh, some things there concerning uh, prosperity and adversity. And... Uh, there on, in Luke, it talked about the people that the tower fell on. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? And uh, what Jesus had to say about that. On uh, page 14 at the top, God's megaphone, that was a quotation from C.S. Lewis. And he says that uh, sometimes, uh, so far as pain and so forth, it's God's megaphone to wake us up, etc. And then down at the bottom, page 14, is the 12th century example. And there's a quotation there from uh, uh, a fellow in the book, I guess the name of the book is The Pianist, and uh, 
He had some pretty good things to say there. If you haven't read that, uh, go ahead and do so sometime. And uh, probably very applicable even to our time today. Uh, and then uh, down at the bottom uh, or middle of page 15, there's some final thoughts. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, I tried to find if there's any Bible bite. Let's see, what Bible bites? He didn't number it. Uh, but I know it's been, it's been available, I don't know how long ago, uh, Bible Bites that Brian has been using here and there uh, from Scott Byer and, and uh, Monroe. This one, is, if, you top, if you have it, it's at the top of the page. At the top of the page, it, it quotes Numbers 11, verse 1. If you don't have it, there's not any available copies, and I didn't have a, a master to make anymore. But I thought I'd read it to you, uh, and perhaps you've already read it, since evidently it's been handed out because there's no copies around. Um, and we'll use this, and I have some other things kind of for a springboard before we get to that uh, final page on uh, Lesson 6. In Numbers 11, verse 1, it says, Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. You remember Numbers is uh, one of those books that there was a lot of complaining going on and a lot of bickering and a lot of, uh, is there such a, such a word as unfaith? <laughs> There's little faith, I know that, but uh, you, you remember Numbers is where the, the uh, 12 spies were sent out to uh, look at the land as they were leaving Egypt and going towards the promised land. And so anyway, uh, that's the book that has that in it. And in Numbers 11th chapter, verse 1, the people became like, the, uh, like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. So uh, Scott says, uh-oh, the people became like those who complain of adversity. When was the last time I did not complain of adversity? We look at complaining, the complaining of the Israelites as a sign of their a lack of their faith but it was also a sign of their unwillingness to suffer. Is that a pretty good statement that you think that they were unwilling to suffer? It was a lack of faith, as he says, yes. But uh, it says the people became like those who complained of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. They didn't want to suffer. But he continues, we... Um, we look, well, I'll reread that first, that sentence. We look at the complaining of the Israelites as a sign of their lack of faith, but it was also a sign of their unwillingness to suffer. Adversity is anything that is less than ideal, anything that fights against us having an easy go of it. The Israelites were complaining because they viewed discomfort as a bad thing. So here's, here's a definition. I don't recall that we... we defined adversity in the beginning of this study back in lesson one. But here, uh, Scott gives a definition, or at least one definition, is adversity is anything that is less than ideal. Anything that fights against us having an easy go of it. Is that too broad or not broad enough? Adversity is anything that is less than ideal. Then less than adversity is worse than I. Of course, it's it's subjective. I don't live maybe in the ideal place, but boy, I think it's pretty ideal. 
If you haven't been to our house, we'll come out sometime. We'll invite you out there and see where we live. And, um, my neighbor and I think it's the best place in the, in the country to live. Uh, <laughs> Pardon me? Only one what at a time? Group. One group at a time. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our house is hardly as big as this side of the auditorium. So. Um, now, that's not ideal then, is it? <laughs> if we're going to have a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. But I don't look at it as, a, as an adversity, even though it may not be ideal for having 25 people out there. Anyway, that, th this is probably a good general statement. Adversity is anything that is less than ideal, anything that fights against us having an easy go of it. The Israelites were complaining because they viewed discomfort as a bad thing. Discomfort. Were they right? And looking at it as a bad thing, we're going to find out another viewpoint, maybe, than the Israelites. Ted? Well, it just told them uh, going comfort is being slaves under Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they forgot that slavery in Egypt when they got out there in the wilderness, didn't they? Discomfort. Talk about discomfort, man. When Pharaoh put them to work, etc. But is it, oh, he asked the question. The, 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 the statement was, the Israelites were complaining because they viewed discomfort as a bad thing. But is it? Discomfort is almost always a sign of growth. I'm glad he said almost always because sometimes it doesn't cause people to grow. It didn't forget the Israelites. And he illustrates by saying sore muscles mean, that, mean they are getting stronger. Well, this guy's not 80 years old. <laughs> I love to work out, at my, out in my garden. I like to be outside. And I'm at that age, it doesn't matter what I do, I get sore muscles. And, I'm, I, I, and I, I can't work all day in the garden like I used to. So I, I don't know if the sore muscles are, are an indication of growth or not. But uh, let's see, where do we leave off? Adversity means, di and means discomfort, and discomfort means uh, uh, growth. And then he quotes here, or doesn't quote, but he mentions Luke 16, 25. I put a question mark, and if you have your copy, you, uh, you may want to do the same thing, but that's all right. As, we've done, as Brian and I have said before, uh, this is men writing, and this is what it, uh, uh, Scott says, a rich man was warned that he received his good things in this life, and that is why he was in anguish in the next Likewise, Lazarus received his bad things, but now is in the comfort of paradise. I got a question there because I'm not sure how this goes with our, uh, the whole thought here, but that's, that's just for you to, if you, don't, if you have your copy, you don't need to put a question mark by it. That whole uh, event or whatever you want to call it that Jesus talks about there, I think is completely misunderstood most of the time. But we move on. Uh, better to be hungry here and seek the food that satisfies. 
What's he talking about there? Better to be hungry here and seek the food that satisfies. Pardon? The word? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do we find that anywhere? The word. Don't complain about adversity. Use it. And then he quotes from James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So, for what it's worth, that kind of goes along with what we've been talking about here. And uh, I, I was looking at things. I found more, more things to quote that we don't have time, time for. Uh, Byers is one of them, but we went ahead and used the time for that. And I found this one, uh, let's see if I can get it up here, uh, in a bulletin from where our daughter uh, lives. Uh, God seems to say, if you never felt pain, then how would you know that I'm a healer? Can you read that? No, that's a de that says deliverer. Uh, there's the one that says healer. Uh, let me know if, as we go through this, you say, if there's something you question about it, but anyhow, that's the way it is. God seems to say, if you never felt pain, then how would you know that I am a healer? God seems to say, if you never went through the difficulties, how would you know I'm a deliverer? God seems to say, if you never had a trial, how could you call yourself an overcomer? If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I am a comforter? If you never made a mistake, how would you know that I am forgiving? If you knew it all, how would you know that I will answer your questions? If you never were in trouble, how would you know that I will come to your rescue? If you never were broken, then how would you know that I can make you whole? If you never had a problem, how would you know that I can solve them? And if you had never had any suffering, then how would you know that Jesus, what Jesus went through? If you never went through the fire, then how would you become pure? And that's a takeoff from Peter's uh, letter that uh, you're purified by fire, and that's the trials and tribulations and so on. If I uh, gave you all things, how would you appreciate them? And the emphasis is on the word all there. If I gave you all things, how would you appreciate them? If you had all power, then how would you learn to depend on me? If, you, if your life was perfect, then what would you need me for? So the article ended, or the quotation ended, there. thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the adversity is what we're saying. Any of those you uh, caught your eyes you want to comment on? Okay, uh, Yep. Good. God took care of all those things. Yeah. Uh, if your life is, uh, was perfect, then uh, what would you need me for? Well, our life's not perfect, so what did God do? He took, Jesus, he took care of it in Jesus. If you had all power, then how would you learn to depend on me? We don't have all power, so we learn to depend on God. Head? Yeah. Yeah. Why does God always run through whatever? And 
uh, what, what rich man was it that James Paul Getty was one that his family certainly didn't turn, a lot of his family anyway, didn't turn out very well. Uh, but uh, you can look up guys like that. Uh, James Paul Getty was a billionaire, whatever, and uh, he, he has a art museum down in California. But anyhow, uh, they, they, they have all these riches and goods, but they're poor in other ways. Was there another thought? Well, anyway, I thought uh, not everything that was read there perhaps has to do with our thinking on adversity. Uh, let me see here. What was another one I wanted to look at? Like I said, I uh, found a lot. But, oh, uh, by the way, <laughs> I found one. You'll have to tell me who he is. I've heard the name. Uh, Toby Mack. Anybody know who that is? Okay, well, I don't either. <laughs> I thought he might be some rock star or celebrity or something like that. RV. Pardon me? RV? RV? Oh, rhythm. Oh, you got to spell it out for me. <laughs> okay, anyway, he said, not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some come to clear your path. Not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some come to clear your path. I don't know. I guess that makes sense. Uh, did we talk about storms of life in some class? Yes, go ahead, Wilma, what I'm thinking here. <laughs> You've grown, yeah. and then you can help others. Right. The person that, uh, and this is a saying you've, I'm sure you've heard, the person who has a silver spoon in their mouth when they were born never understands a person who has not that type of privilege. And what was that? I, I know it's probably attributed to uh, some Indian until you walk a mile in my moccasins you can't understand or some quote like that. And, and that's true. Uh, not only when we overcome or go through adversity, problems or whatever, uh, and we grow by it, it helps us, uh, and it's what Wilma is saying, to help other people too that might be in a similar uh, or of an adversity of some sort. Ted?
If any of you are on Facebook, what Ted just said was one of the, what do you call those things? Mimes? Mems? M-E-M-E. God shuts the door. I just saw it not long ago. God shuts the door here. He opens a window somewhere. One of those quotes. Okay. I think I will go ahead and read this one. I was thinking not. It's kind of long. This is written by a doctor. Uh, um, what's his name? Barry, Barry, per Barry Perriman. Anyway, <coughs> the, the article is completely off of what the whole article is completely different than what we're talking about here, but he has one paragraph here that uh, kind of touched on what we've uh, talked about before. Have we talked about the world being broken? It seemed like Brian, when he was teaching a couple of weeks ago or three, this is a broken world in which we live. And you know what we meant or mean by that? Uh, the what? It's a fallen world. From Adam and Eve and their sin being taken out of the garden, uh, man had to toil with the thistles and weeds and so forth and so on, and the, uh, the, the fallen, the curses that God placed on the world. And uh, he mentions in this uh, quote that I'm going to read, he mentions the broken world that we live in. <clears throat> so, and even today... Uh, it's a broken world because of, you see of all the, and the, these lessons have already gone over these. You see all the evil in the world. You see all the disasters in the world that the people are, are suffering. Sometimes it's not their own fault. Somebody else causes something, the consequences in them. But, but generally speaking, what he's saying here is the broken world is, is a sin that is in the world uh, from way back when. So uh, he says, when God first when God was finished with the creation, he gave the benediction that it was good. You remember Genesis? He did this and it was good. He did this and it was good. He, he looked at man and it was not good. <laughs> Is that a, not an exact quote? But what did he say? What he, he looked at Adam and, and it was not good that Adam be alone. So he made something, not something, <laughs> someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he made someone who was a help suitable to Adam, and it was good. Okay. This was prior to the introduction of sin and consequences, not only on humans, but on the physical creation itself. The Apostle Paul even declared that the creation was subjected to fertility and longed for the revealing of the sons of God in Romans 8, verse 9. That's something that we could say a whole lot more about, but that's not our purpose right now. Uh, the creation like man, uh, that's probably a line I should have not read. The, <laughs> the creation like man is also subject to the slavery of corruption. It is broken just like all men and women are broken, just like all of us are broken. Some of us are broken more than others. Many are broken by their own decisions, while so many others have been broken by strangers, siblings, relatives, and even parents. Some have been horribly abused sexually, mentally, and physically. Some have, been betrayed. Some have been betrayed so many times that they have come to hate the world. 
Some have been broken in battle, witnessing man's inhumanity to man. Some have been so physically and psychologically abused and raped that they have in turn broken others. It causes many to see a twisted world instead of the beauty with which it was originally designed. So that last sentence there, have you seen or you've known or heard Sometimes people are so abused, so, uh, well, he uses the word abused. What else? He's broken, psychologically abused, abused, et cetera, that uh, uh, they'll do the same thing to other people. That's what I'm getting at. And, And so maybe the person who was first abused, it wasn't their fault. It was their parent or whoever. But still, it causes them not to see, not, also I've seen, I heard of people who have had an abused life or a broken life growing up, they realize, and I'm not going to do that. So there's that aspect. Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, some people do have that fortitude, if you will, that to get out of that abusive thing. But anyway, what he says is, in case a lot of time, this, uh, this uh, uh, person who has been abused has seen a, a, a Adversity will go ahead and pass it on to other people, too. That's what he was saying here. So last sentence, it causes many to see a twisted world instead of the beauty with which it was originally designed. Disease, defects, mental illness ravage our bodies and cause some to live with almost unbearable physical and mental pain. It distracts them from the kindness and sweetness for which we were created. It injects bitterness into the soul. Brokenness drains us of life force and the desire and energy necessary for good works. Some lash out in rebellion. It colors their actions, thoughts, and speech. Brokenness causes us to search incessantly for relief from the emptiness, pain, and anxiety that it causes. We search everywhere, even in the darkest places where we find addiction of food, drugs, murder, and sexual deviancy. The need to deal with the emptiness takes some places, takes some to places they could never have imagined, like teenagers turning to abusive sex to fill a hole that aches to be healed. It drives some to kill their own unborn children and to molest and murder others. Some escape to the streets and alleys to find salve for their pain. Even if we don't act out on the emotional pain, we can still harbor the blackest thoughts. Brothers and sisters, it's a broken world we find ourselves in, and we all have contributed to that brokenness. No one is innocent, for all have sinned. So, uh, we may contribute it in different respects and depths and so on. All of sin, no doubt about that. That's, I think that's a quote from Scripture. But anyway, I thought, well, that kind of describes what we're talking about in adversity here. And another, maybe a review, but another viewpoint. Ted? Tombstone? Yeah. 
Yeah, those those gunfighters going out to yeah. Yeah, Doc Holliday. Yeah. I had forgotten it. I, I do I do remember something like that, yeah. For being born. Well it wasn't his fault for being born, was it? But how what happened to him after he was born is it's a, I like Westerns, that's a pretty good one. I don't remember whether it ought to be looked at again or not, but <laughs> Okay. Any other thoughts? I, th I think, let me look. I think that's all my quotes uh, I've got this morning. Any thoughts on any of the, the what we had on the PowerPoint or these other? Uh, now if I can find my lesson sheet. Is it possible that a child or children could grow up in a family that they were not abused physically, uh, they weren't beaten, anything like that, they weren't starved, uh, they weren't put in a shed and chains or anything, but it is possible that uh, father and mother don't show them the love, the compassion, the understanding and it causes them to be kind of broken, if you will. Yeah. But, uh, and, and what I was thinking was, there's, there possibly are a lot of people like that. Uh, I can look at my family as a whole. I mean, I've got cousins galore, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, when parents, even though they might be what we'd call Christians, do not show that parental love, teaching, guidance, etc. What I'm getting at is not just the parents that are on drugs and, and carousing around, etc., etc., that abuse their children or don't uh, uh, nurture their children like they should. I think as, as I look back uh, in my younger days, uh, I think all younger people, and I'm saying I may not have gotten 
the knowledge, like uh, maybe I should ask, younger people need to, to continue looking at the Word and how God looks at this parent and that parent and so on. Saul is an example, uh, but his, his son Jonathan turned out pretty good, didn't he? Anyway, uh, but what uh, was saying there is, and there's been books written about it, which some are helpful and so on, that uh, the way we learn, I may not be the title of one book that I'm thinking of, and, and it, it, in that book and, and others, it uh, is teaching that parents need to understand, I don't care if you have two children or ten, they're all different. And, you, and how does this child learn? Well, it's going to be different than the way that child learns. And so you're not going to treat them, you're going to treat them righteously, and best you can as far as, you know, uh, in, in your knowledge of the word and so forth, uh, which will help you understand that this child doesn't learn this way, but that one does. So, uh, and I think that's what, what's your name? <laughs> Ken? <laughs> I think that's what Ken was getting to at, that, that uh, and, and we could get into some philosophical stuff, but it's the same, same thing as, as, as temperament, and I think you've heard me talk about that before. Uh, I probably didn't learn about temper, temperaments until 40 years ago, but everybody's temperament, I, whether children or not, is different. And if you understand this is this person's temperament, and there's four major temperaments that people have with a combination of others, and it gets into the hundreds of thousand combinations, uh, then, then you'll, you'll look at this person, man, but what are their temper? What's their temperament like? And so it is with children and adults as well. I think I saw Mo's hand. Yeah. What about what? Your siblings. Oh. Uh -huh. How do your siblings see? Yeah. And you talk. I'm gonna go ahead. Yeah. Siblings, yeah. And you're talking about your children. How many children do you have? Five. There were there were three children, counting myself, my brother and my sister and myself and my family. Every one of us are different. And I can look back. Man, alive. They they babied my baby brother. They didn't look at me like. <laughs> Everybody has a story like that they can tell. Yeah, yeah. Well, my brother and I. Yeah. My brother and I, we just pestered our sister to death. <laughs> anyway, we could, I know all of us could uh, tell stories on <laughs> and illustrate what we're talking about here. There's adversity in families and so on. Did I see Joe's hand?
Okay, appreciate your comments. Let's look at the lesson on page 15, page 15, final thoughts and observations. We cannot always know that God is a, has a specific purpose behind disaster. <clears throat> in other words, as we said in the very beginning, we may not always know what God's purpose or action is in some situation. Who is to say for certain that God is or is not punishing a group of people by a disaster or tragedy? I know, I know when some hurricanes came through, just wiped out some places, the 9-11, <coughs> excuse me, the, the Oklahoma City bombing that we've talked about in these lessons before, Oh, this is God's judgment upon the world, uh, God's judgment upon the United States, or this evil people. Well, it may be in some cases, but we, you know, we cannot always say. Did a natural, and I'm reading, I'm saying what the next sentence says, did a natural disaster simply happen, or did God send it for a specific purpose? Man-made disasters, as we have seen, cannot be blamed on God. That is the disaster itself. But he, uh, but he could stop them? So did he have a lesson for someone or not? We should be careful in answering such questions as we remember the misguided views of Job's friends who believe they knew God's purpose in Job's suffering. We all remember the story of Job. He lost everything, and his friends came, and friends, that's in quotation marks, uh, and said, you did this, or this is why you're suffering, and so on. As Brian has said several times, I don't like to just read, but uh, that's practically what we're going to do with the rest of this. Nevertheless, in the specifics, we must confess that we don't know for sure the lesson to be gained. In, general, in a general sense, we can always hear God's megaphone. That's referring back over here to C.S. Lewis' quote. We can conclude that something is wrong and we can't control it. We need God. Today we are so aware of large-scale tragedies through 24 hours of news that a, dan a danger may be they fail to wake us up. They fail to teach us as God intends. We don't always appreciate human scale in a large tragedy. Our sympathy may be blurred because of the numbers involved. And it's hard to grasp. I mean, people in California down there by Redding, just burning up, the places are burning up. I don't know how many houses have been lost now. Uh, but uh, I think I had a note over here. Fox News, tell about it. And then the next, and the, I mean, to go from this and this to the next thing is something just happened, you know, like, well, what about that? I know that they have a certain time frame that the news people have to put in their, all their news that's not news and so forth. But uh, <laughs> uh, that's kind of the way it is sometimes. Uh, we don't always appreciate the human scale in a large tragedy. Our sympathy may be blurred because of the numbers involved. William W. Wiersbe, 
commented, I may be wrong, but I have a feeling that people react to so-called disasters in a shallow and temporary manner. No sooner is the news flash of a plane crash completed than the television viewers go right back to their baseball, perhaps saying, well, that's too bad. But, and that's, I illustrate not only the people who are watching, but uh, and I understand the news anchors and so on. They've got this and they've got to get it all in. But they'll talk about this plane crash or that uh, disaster, and, and then the next sentence they'll talk about how happy they are to have the Mariners to win or whatever. Uh, <coughs> Think of the people waiting in Los Angeles Airport. And this happened a few years ago. <coughs> a few of us will be so upset that we'll miss a meal or anything or any sleep and coffee break the next day. We'll all discuss the plane crash and the baseball game in the same breath. Do you remember that plane crash in, in, in L.A.? I barely do. I can't remember. There's, there's a couple of them, and I can't remember the details. Is that the one where the plane came in and hit the runway short? And Yeah. Anyway, Christians should not allow this to happen. That is, be lazadaisical. What's that word? Yeah. In addition to our compassion and concern was we must also constantly have reinforced the idea that there's something wrong in the world that only God's godly obedience can overcome. One last benefit can result from large-scale tragedy. What an opportunity it affords us to explain our faith in God and His Son. It's our chance to speak up for God when He's called a task for some tragedy. In 1 Peter 3.15, they are commanded to make a defense to everyone who asks for an account of the hope that is in them. Interestingly, the context uh, of the verse was the personal suffering for Christ of those people in the New Testament days. I changed the wording of that to put it in context. Certainly, we can learn a lesson from it, but Peter's talking to those people and the adversity that they were uh, in is what he is, he is referring to uh, there. Okay, have just enough time for your comments or th anything, and then we'll hand out lesson seven. Anything you'd like to add or question? Lesson, lesson seven uh, continues tragedy and adversity. Not the large scale like, like, like lesson six, but tragedy and adversity among loved ones, biblical examples, and related spiritual uh, dangers. So this one gets into the, the, the loss of a child and uh, the death of a relative, the sickness of a child, starvation of a loved one, sickness of a friend, and it, then it talks about some spiritual dangers. And uh, so uh, we'll pass this out and, and you have it to look, have a look at it for, for next week. And uh, I have forgotten... Well, Brian and I have forgotten as a wheel. He'll continue with lesson seven. And uh, I think there's three there. Thank you. Uh, but Brian, will be, Brian, I think, will be back next week, but then he'll be gone. Is the Sunday a 12th? I mean, the t is there a Sunday that is the 12th? I don't know how many I've got. I'll see if we've got enough. Are these coming along? Need some more on this side? Uh, I'll start back at the back and meet them. Oh, dropped one up. Thank you. Yeah.
Yeah, we've got Sunday the 5th, and then I think Brian will be gone the 7th, so I'm not sure how we'll work out. Now, everybody got one for Lesson 7? When we started out and we gave you the first lesson, it had all the lessons listed, and uh, Brian and I divided it up for who's teaching from this section to that section, and, and we thought it worked out, but then... Uh, when one's gone, the other teaches. So anyway, appreciate your uh, thoughts. Any questions, comments? Ken, one more. Yeah. It was a wonderful thing, and I don't, I haven't been able to figure out what's going to be. Okay. Yeah, well, you, you got into a subject that is not simple. That, that is for sure. And the expectation, the creation, the waiting expectation uh, is something for a three or four week study. <laughs> but uh, keep on trying to figure it out, study it out, and uh, we'll get together sometime and do that. <laughs>